making a piece of content that makes somebody happy and live a better life is the greatest fucking legacy anybody can have. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to the story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huber. All right. You're listening to Hawk Talk, and today we're here with Gary Vaynerchuk. How are you, man? I'm doing well, brother. Thank you for having me. No, yeah. Thank you for joining. So, you know, obviously well-known in the space now, well-known in the world, have really built both a massive business and kind of a celebrity persona for yourself, but always love talking about like where this started. And, you know, I've heard anecdotes of your past. We've talked about it too. Funny enough, we have similar backgrounds in terms of the Russian connection, but would love to know just that life story. What kind of drove you to be the person you are is really what I'm trying to dive into. So start from the top, Belarus. Belarus, 1975, November 14th, 20 inches of snow, according to the legend. And, you know, just very humble, very humble beginnings. 1975 to 1978, Belarus to 20-year-old parents is like 1930s America for people that are listening. And so, you know, very humble beginnings. Like, we didn't have Pampers in Russia. Like, Mm -hmm. it's hard for Americans to understand where Russia was. It was more third world country, even though it was the old world. So. For example, I grew up without having pampers and I was a big peer. So like literally like in these stockings, my mom would have to like change me six times a day. Like, you know, we'd go out to the park to get some fresh air and she was five steps out and I'd pee my pants. We have to go back in. Like just yeah. feel fun kind of like 1920s like stories. Come to America. Do you, my, do you have memory to that? Do you actually wait? Like- no, I don't remember a single thing of Russia. Highest, big shout out to Highest is an organization that helped me and my family and other Russian Jews get out of the country in the late 70s, Mm -hmm. a couple hundred thousand, so I'm very lucky when you think about the math. The way we got to America was through Austria and Italy, and then you came to America. So Austria and Italy were kind of these hubs for a lot of the people that know this story or maybe even live this story. So we were a couple weeks in Austria and we were in Italy for several months. Yeah, and I don't remember Austria or Italy, but I start remembering my life within weeks of being in America. Now, probably because unfortunately, one of the first things I remember is grabbing tea off the table in Queens and burning my leg and going to the hospital for three days. Oh, wow. So that happened. Not you know. How old were you? How old were you when you came over? I was three and a half when I came over. That happened right after I turned four. Okay. So like, you know, family, you know, grandmother, great grand, we lived with my great grandparents. We lived with my aunt and uncle. The first year was real rugged. My dad had a very well off, wealthy, great uncle, his grandmother's brother, mm-hmm. that was gonna kind of like help us. But while we were in Italy, he dies. Oof. Yeah, so now we roll in and big credit to Arlene Newman and, and Bob Siegelman that great uncle of my dad, Jack Siegelman's children, they very much did do the right thing by us. You know, Mm -hmm. they helped my dad, you know, buy a car. They Mm -hmm. got my dad a job as a construction worker in their construction company. And then ultimately they got a job for my dad as a stock boy in the liquor store that the family owned. Got it. That liquor store was a small store in the late seventies, early eighties. Where was it? was in Clark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And my dad starts working there, two, three, four bucks an hour, very humble beginnings, commuting from Queens to New Jersey, rugged life. But something interesting happened. Many of the individuals that worked in that store decided to pack up and move to San Francisco at the same time. Huh. Was there a reason then driving thing behind I, Yeah. You know, I asked my dad years later, I think the majority of the men that worked there were 
gay men and they went to San Francisco in 1980. Yeah, yeah. Go, go and hang. Yeah. So my dad gets kind of promoted with no English to be the manager of the store. Yeah. What ends up happening is New Jersey changes liquor laws. There was something called regulation, which meant every liquor store in New Jersey had to mark up every product 35% minimum. Mm-hmm as a baseline markup. Got so it. liquor stores were good businesses. There was no competition. Like if you just wanted to make 35% markup, yep. you could build your lot and you could obviously make more. Yep. Well, they deregulated and now you could sell at any price. My yep. dad and his entrepreneurial capabilities teams up with some other guys he met early on in the industry and they start a co-op called Shoppers Discount Liquors and they start selling liquor and beer, mainly not wine, at very low costs, including dead cost. Yep. They all chip in money and start running ads in the newspaper. So where did and, that come from? Like, where did your dad get his entrepreneurial spirit? Obviously he, you know, took a risk my, leaving everything and coming to the US, but. DNA game, right? My dad's yep. dad, my dad's grandmother, my dad's dad's mother were very entrepreneurial by the legends and stories I've heard, you mm-hmm. know, kind of like selling roosters at the market shit, like real Got stuff it. like that. Yeah. Right? You know, and so, entrepreneurship. Yeah, I mean, the same way I got it from, it's in us. Yeah. So he had great intuition. His work ethic was, and my mom's for that matter, bar none, that's where I get it from. And away we go. Ronald Reagan era, the yep. you know, economy turns, and we are now living in a townhouse in the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. And we are now in middle-class territory. And we grew were up in- Were you still in, in Queens or where were you? At that point, we moved to Dover, New Jersey, and then we moved to Edison, New Jersey. And Edison, New Jersey uh-huh. is where I grew up from yep. 1982 to 1990. And that's kind of where I'm become me, you know, outside Jersey kid, meaning go outside all day. Yep. Sports. What was your sports? What'd you like to play? Everything. But a heavy baseball, football, a little Mm -hmm. bit of basketball, a little street hockey, a lot of games, laser tag, wrestling each other, Mm -hmm. you know, running in the woods, war, you know, water guns, just real Americana. Yeah. 80s. Getting out. Yeah you know, now can speak the language, fall in love with American football. That's where the jet stuff comes. And yeah, that's on that note. I know when you first moved here, you didn't speak the language. How long did that take you? How was that transition? That's the beauty of anybody who knows or has been around this. If you're under six, it's like yeah. cake. It's yeah. cake. You're immersed. I watched the Flintstones and Scooby-Doo. And Got it. once I went to school, game over. So that wasn't the hardest part. I don't, you know, I do recall being picked on quite a bit in Dover, New Jersey for not being able to speak English. So that was maybe the only rough patch of that. And then, you know, that in hindsight, this is stuff when I started realizing a little bit more about myself in my 30s. In hindsight, I spent a staggering amount of time doing business. It snowed you could count on me at least doing half the day shoveling snow. Like there yeah. was, it was very rare for me to have a snow day that looked like sledding and snowman and snowball fight the whole day. Of course I did some, yeah. but like my energy, my DNA took me to shoveling. Is that your first like entrepreneurial endeavor? Cause I know we all have that like little kid story. Was it shoveling snow or what was it really? I don't want to bullshit you. I'll give you a bunch. Yeah, please. Between lemonade, yep. snow shoveling. Yeah. <laughs> the one I'm least proud of, picking flowers in people's yards and then ringing their own doorbells back to sell back the flowers to them. I did the exact same thing. I'd steal my mom's own flowers too and sell them to the neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. All my friends' favorite one, given my my Jewish roots, the Christmas carol business I started, we would literally, literally, literally ring doorbells and literally be like, hey ma'am, would you like Christmas carols? And like in the two seconds that I could see her 
pause. Yeah. I'd be like, hit it, boys. Dashing through this. Like, you know, just like. like it's, by the way, a young Jewish kid singing Christmas carols. I like it. It's really. <laughs> big shout out to Robbie Turnick. He actually, actually, the reason a lot of people who really, really follow me never hear that story is I only was reminded of that by Robbie Turnick in the last 18 months. So shout awesome. out for him <laughs> reminding me of that hustle. A big, big one was washing cars. That was a big, uh-huh. big one you know, carrying the hose, like. And how old were you when you started all this? Like, where, when did it kick off? Were you eight, seven? Seven, seven, yeah. eight, nine, ten, yeah. heavy. And, and then, did something drive you, like, was there something you wanted the money for, or was it just you loved the chase? I love the chase. Yeah. Like, I don't even recall, like, I don't have that great story of, like, and I bought my bike. Yeah. Or I, I know I bought Nintendo, but I don't remember it being about buying Nintendo. Yep. It's who I am now. I mean, you've got, you know, obviously with your friendship with Jeff Nicholson and, yep. and being similar in space and we've had the luxury of interacting and I'm sure, you know, back to your earlier point, when you're out there, people talk and you get mm-hmm. to hear the stories from people that actually know you versus the right. people that are listening now that have opinions of me but don't know me. And mm-hmm. I understand both pro and con opinions if you don't know me because of my energy, personality type, conviction, ambition, yep. style, jersey, I get it all. But I think you, you know, not that we know each other the most, but we know each other enough that you know I'm really about the game. Yep. You know, like I'm just not that guy. I'm not looking for the Bentley. I'm not looking for the yacht. Yep. Yes, I am trying to buy the New York Jets, but even that is almost like I've come to realize, right, that's the game too. That's, I yeah, love that's not a process. monetary, that's not a bragging rights. It's a passion. And I get that. The reason, the money's a means to do it, but still it's- that's You know what's funny? As you were just talking, I was like thinking how I'm feeling right now. I really, really, really want to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. And like in my brain, especially right now, because everyone's really on tilt in Jets Nation. I mean, it's, you know, I'm at the point where I feel like I have to do it myself. And so fuck it. And listen, I'd be lying if I didn't say there's absolutely part of me that understands that it would be such a remarkable, fun American story of boy comes to America. You know, a famous story I do tell is when we couldn't afford buying me a Jets jersey when all my friends had one, my mom knitted me one. It is my (laughs) prized possession. And you know, I think I think a lot about that shit. And so I do have a little bit of romance around that narrative and think it'd be pretty cool. So yeah, that's who I was. And then obviously it's fun to tell this part of the story because it's in the news more now and part of our culture more now. And then 1985 happened and sports cards explosion started and it was perfect timing. I love sports. I love business. I'm 10 years old and away we go. And I basically from 86 to 93 to 92, 93. Like like 11 to 18 kind of thing. Yeah. Like basically from 10 to 17, 16 and a half, 17, 16 and a half. (laughs) 10 to 17. I would tell you that 80% of my energy and mentality was around sports cards, buying them, selling them, being in them. I was an atrocious student. I was obsessed. Mm -hmm. And basically I would argue that what makes me who I am today as a businessman was really honed from 10 to 20 at card shows and at my dad's liquor store. I would stand behind a table at a card show in a mall and basically spend 10 hours a day watching people. Even then, Eric, This is what I do for a living now. I would watch people and I would make adjustments to my table. I would make adjustments to where I would ask my table to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned by watching people. And 
So you're you talking know, about like the way people traffic through, what they looked at, what they're- Oh shit, this is the most popular store in the mall. Oh, this is where an entrance is. Oh, if I do a stand-up Christmas tree with cards on it, people will see it from first. Like I yeah. learned, yeah. I've learned, and I really learned in my dad's store. I mean, long, 20 years, yeah, 20 years before I realized big companies like Walmart and Target would film people's traffic patterns and analyze them. You know, this is what, and you, you may know this, and maybe Jeff has said this about me, like, I'm dangerous enough in the math to not be lost in the mm-hmm. world that you and I are in. Yep. But my great skill is the gray. Yeah. I made myself foundationally strong in the math enough to not be blown out by it because math will beat you that way. Yep. But the reason I think I've been ahead is my tangible skill is unseen for a while. Yeah. And you, you know? can like, like the observing how people walk through the liquor store, where they went to, how to merchandise it and set it up properly, that kind of thing. Right, which has made me arguably one of the most prolific contextual content producers in the world, right? It's the same game. Now, there's a level of math behind it now, analytically, engagement rates and view rates and things of that nature that in a lot of ways took my magic away from me because in the 80s and 90s, I was sitting all by myself on natural talent. Math has closed the gap, but in a lot of ways, math has made me stronger, right? It's only reaffirmed and created pattern recognition. And so- When I think you just said it best with the gray, like math can only get you so far. And a lot of times, if you don't understand what you're looking at, math can help qualify what you're looking at. But if you look at just data and don't understand the gray around it, you might make bad decisions, actually. I've seen that happen a lot. Not only that, brother, I'm going to make some assumptions here with your- great success and kudos to you and your team. It makes me so fucking happy. There's probably a very smart listenership to this show, you know, outside of like the new viewers I'm going to bring to you. And so I would say that people need to understand that math also affirms bad behavior. Yep. There's a lot of people in our industry hiding behind math. Yeah. It's confirmation bias. You're going to, you can make it say a lot. 100%. And so I respect the shit out of math. I understand it enough to be dangerous But my great skill is understanding emotions and human behavior and really having conviction around my intuitions and then really creating affirmations or having the humility to bail on intuition. And that's who I think I am today. And basically when that ends up happening, and I think a lot of people have heard this story, so maybe we can go into other areas, but I'll, I'll go there. My dad forces me into the liquor store. I fall in love with wine collecting because it's like card collecting. So I'm like, oh shit, this is awesome. I want to help my dad. I think I can help my dad. My great dream is to help my dad. One of the things that hurts my feelings the most is when people try to downplay my accomplishments of like, well, his dad gave it to him. I went into my dad's business, gave him 12 of the best years of my life and left that business at 34, not owning the wine library. You know, becoming a partner with my dad in the real estate. But other than that, having no tangible. And by the way, something people may know about family businesses, if you're the COO or CEO of a business that you drive from three to 65 million over a seven year period, it's unlikely that you'll be continued to pay $60,000 a year. But that was the truth of my life. So I kind of am 34 and have to start all over when I start Vayner. And luckily I was a saver and didn't spend money. So I had some money to invest in Facebook and Twitter. You know, it all kind of collided, right? Yeah. I, say, I, I live like shit from 22 to 34, which enables me to have some savings, mm-hmm. which enables me to bet the farm on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr literally took all of my money and bet it on that. Oh thus having no money when VaynerMedia starts. So we have to start VaynerMedia in Buddy Media's fucking conference room. I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah, great story. How did you know those guys? Where was the relationship from? Lazaro knew of me. Somebody connected us. I'd already started creating content already because of Wine Library TV. Exactly. And a little bit of business content. Lazaro, always having zero to the ground, makes the observation. Lazaro also being the mensch that he is, not only gives me free conference room to start VaynerMedia, but also gives me equity in Buddy Media in exchange for a quote on their website. Wow. He later sells it to Salesforce. Yeah, I remember that. I've not sold a share of it since it converted 
in that $800 million deal to Salesforce. Salesforce is doing all right this year. <laughs> so basically, I literally made substantial seven figures for a quote and I got free space. So the best business move I ever made in my life. That's Big awesome. shout out to Cass Lazaro, his wife, who's a real operator, by the way. So yeah. that was an amazing journey. Anyway, nonetheless, going to my dad's business, you've got a little sense of me. I'm sure some people do. Imagine me 15 to 18 hours a day, singularly being focused on wine for a decade. That's who I yeah. was. When I tell you I knew everything, I fucking yeah. knew everything. I literally probably knew 92% of the wines that were available in America in any state. I built an e-commerce business in 1996, way ahead of my time. I had an email newsletter that had 100,000 people on it with 90% open rates before anybody knew these email newsletters existed. I was doing Google AdWords and Yahoo AdWords before anybody was talking. I mean, I literally bought Google AdWords the day the alpha opened. I started a YouTube show, if you go on YouTube right now, February 21st, 2006, which is literally within the year of YouTube launching. And that's when I just, you know, I became Gary Vee, as people know me now, as being the marketer for the business. I also learned, you know, why am I an executive at a thousand person company today? Because I learned how to run people at Wine Library. As a kid, 22, 23, 24, I'm managing grown men. Uh, yeah, how many people did you have under you then in your 20s? When I first started in the store, I think we had nine employees in 98. And I think we went from nine to a hundred in five years. Uh-huh. And that was a different kind of person, right? A lot of them yeah. were minimum wage, stocking bottles in a liquor store. So you had a lot of those dynamics. You had a couple of, you know, managers who were more blue collar, you know, and learned a lot about, you know, I had natural people skills. I learned more. I managed people, how to motivate people in different ways. Was it money? Was it affirmation? Was it empathy? And I built out my pattern recognition as a leader, but I innovated like a motherfucker, both yeah. in what I sold in terms of New Zealand wine, French wine, Spanish wines, but in terms of how I sold. Yeah. e-commerce, the marketing habits. And by the time VaynerMedia started, I built Gary V, the wine guy. I had not mastered, but man, was I at the fucking forefront of fucking Twitter and Facebook and MySpace. And yep, timing and, is a huge part of it. And then I was investing a lot and started VaynerMedia. And then two years into VaynerMedia, decided to really double down. And then 2011, 2014, very focused on the business and then realized I was losing my touch because I wasn't making content anymore. To take a step back real quick, because you've also had a family which doesn't get brought up much. I'm not going to dig too much either. But when did you meet your wife? When did that part of your life start? That happened in 2003. So I was at Wine Library. Uh Got married in 04. And so that happened. And then I had a kid in 09, right when we started VaynerMedia. So a lot was going on. And I wrote Crush It, which completely exploded and was a massive New York Times bestselling book, which changed my profile from Mm -hmm. wine guy to social media guy. So yeah, balancing all that. And so what, what's interesting is, this is something I don't talk a lot about. And I'm trying to give you some content that might be new. From 11 to 14, I didn't make a lot of content. I stopped Wine Library TV in 11 and I was really head down building. You know, Vayner, I made an occasional video about business. Like I remember making one very viral video about some new Taco Bell menu item of what wine would pair with it and it exploded on Reddit. And then in 14, I'm like, uh-oh, I'm losing my way. I'm not a practitioner. I'm talking about... 2006 to 2011 and it's 2014 yeah and so it was really really interesting i was like shit i need to get my shit together here and so that's when i kind of came back and started doing first the ask gary v show mm-hmm. and then d rock came into my life made a video and that led to a blog a vlog yep. daily v which was huge for me and then you know has evolved really into the machine that it is now podcasts and blog yep. and blog and 
all of, you know, now, and I really think that took me to the next place, but I'm so pumped. And you know this, cause you're in the business. I sit in very rarefied air of scale of capabilities and being a CEO who's the actual practitioner. There is just actually not a CEO, definitely not in the big boy, big girl land of agency life for sure because they're bankers yeah. at best and operators at worst or yeah. vice versa, excuse me. And then even in the world of you where like people I really admire who I think are you know actually the ones that are you know coming up and are gonna do real yeah. shit. But just the far majority of them are not to the extreme of personal execution of content creation, yep. strategy, and media spend that I'm at. And so- When what know, I've seen there is most people that have that don't have any execution on the operational side. And that was going to be my question, like balancing, I'm going to say the term, the celebrity side of what you've created and the operational side. Because, you know, you said it, there's comments made by people that don't know you. Like, yeah, he's probably not even at Vayner Media every day. <laughs> with and then I know for like very clearly, you are fully in the business and on the business and like how you've been able to balance that. How has that been? Post-production strategy. Yeah. Knowing that, look at this moment. Let me break this down for people so they can get an insight into me. I have a young kid I admire who has a real extreme friendship with a key executive in my world. I've watched him from a fire execute. I know he's on his path. I know he's a winner. You know, I know it's like inevitable. Like he's in my similar space. I'm sure there's people who debate your business in the mm -hmm. Sasha Group or Vayner. Yeah. I believe the world is abundant. I don't think you stop winners. Yep. And so when this request comes in a world where I don't have time, I'm yep. like, okay, I'm gonna do this show because it's gonna help Eric. It's gonna help his business. He's fucking smart. He's gonna know that. It's gonna be a gracious move. And I'll probably say one or two good things and I will post produce the creative and post it on my Instagram and my LinkedIn. Yep. You know, Eric, I think what's really funny about the way my brand lives in the world to your earlier point is I would argue that people think I'm doofy. You know, I think people grossly underestimate me because of my personality type and the fact that I go into self-help because I do believe in mindset is just perspective and perspective is practical strategy and is meaningful to how one lives life, let alone executes a business. I think that confuses people that I'm a self-help guru and things of that nature in a world where I think I'm dramatically more thoughtful and strategic than everybody else. I really believe that. Yeah, and, and I agree. Again, from experience with you, and I've had these conversations with people that don't know you, that admire you, that go, well, is he just doing the thought leadership piece? I'm like, no, he's also executing Fortune 500 marketing campaigns and Super Bowl commercials. I just, from my perspective, you have two audiences. You have these CMOs at these big companies that need to know you know what you're doing on the marketing side, but you also, I think altruistically, want to get people out of their own way and get people I, out hustling. That's yeah, a lot of where I, this comes from. And hustling and being happy, right? Like work right. four hours a week. Like I am driven by guilt of the gifts of mindset that I was given. Yep. And, and almost I'm like, you know what I think of? I think I'm like a ladybug that goes into the zapper and dies. I knowingly know that I think I am a tremendous businessman who today has, in the last 24 months, K-Swiss turned around from a losing venture yep. to a massive exit in a China apparel company, 95% yep. of the back of my personal brand and our marketing execution. Yeah. I exited a company I invented, co-founded, co-invented with Ben Leventhal, sat on the board of, navigated incredibly through people dynamics and fundraising and marketing strategy and product strategy called Resi to yeah. a multi nine figure exit to American Express and created and sold in a hefty eight figure exit of a direct to consumer wine brand called Empathy to console. And, and remember yeah. Amex and Consolation no. are not enamored by Gary Vee. Correct, yeah, I think that's an important note. Yeah, exactly. they, have, they have real M&A teams yeah, that look exactly. at math and real stuff. And I've done that in the last 24 months. And Eric, when I tell you 
those three business victories are way up there just in my 24 months to the comparison of many other business leaders that people admire tremendously. And because Gary Vee exists, it's almost, actually, it is not talked about. I also don't talk about it. Right. Because I think me bragging about, now I I would like to talk about how and what, and I I can do some of that, but I put out content to help people at the complete detriment of my craft. Yeah, a hundred thousand percent. That's why I landed on altruism because there's no other benefit for you. You're not generating business by helping. It's hurting. People. It's yeah. hurting my yeah. reputational value as I want to be and I will be on the pedestals of for my own sport of the pedestals of the most significant business executors of my generation. Now I'm a little bit more of a tortoise than a hare. Mm-hmm. I probably won't achieve the complete financial upsides of a Bezos or a Zuckerberg or things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But I'm completely convinced that I will have the financial means to buy the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. I believe that I will build one of the most significant companies in the history of this generation with X as a communications platform that already has proven it can spring out massive businesses with empathy because those were two of my interns were my co-founders. Wow. Nate Schroeder and John Trauman were interns at VaynerMedia who were my co-founders, became millionaires on the empathy ex- and our executives at Constellation. Like I'm doing it, but Gary Vee saying, you know, all the parody videos of me, I love them. First of all, the comedians are incredible. <laughs> and they're funny and they're very spot on. Of like, you could have been a tree or your parents don't give, like all those funny cliches. I just happen to know, because I'm on the receiving end of the millions of DMs a year, that that 13 second video on TikTok actually made somebody have a candorous conversation with their parents, which led them to dropping out of medical school, getting off of drugs and starting a kitchen or a company or a job that makes them happy. And they are ha- you know what? I don't give a fuck if I buy the Jets and win 13 straight Super Bowls. Making a piece of content that makes somebody happy and live a better life is the greatest fucking legacy anybody can have. Yep. No, and I, I love that you're saying this because I think it's important for people to know. It's something I know about you, but it's really nice to share. So one last question, then a rapid fire session of some audience questions that we got before you coming on. So last question for me is you kind of mentioned you want to build this big, et cetera, but what is your vision for the next 10, 20 years? Like, what do you really see? It's so narrow. You'll love this. Perfect. I want to build VaynerX to be the greatest communications machine of all time. Live events, VR, AR, media, Alexa skill, skill building. Like we will cover it all. I mean, it's been very clear. I've been very obvious. VaynerCommerce gets built. Tracer gets spun out. Like it's, I'm doing it. And then I would like it to be a death star, literally star Wars analogy. I would like it to point to a planet and blow it up. Yeah. A planet is, I want to start a direct-to-consumer wine brand because I love wine. A yeah. planet is, AJ has Crohn's disease and I'm going to show the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation to be the greatest marketing communications you know, foundation mm-hmm. to help cure Crohn's disease. Yeah. A planet might be, I've always liked Eric H. I can't believe he's done with his entrepreneurial ventures and he wants to be the governor of California. I am going to help him build the marketing plan of 2047 to do that. That is a plan. A planet is, I've always loved starter jackets. They're selling it. I'm going to buy it and I'm going to make it as good as off-white. A planet might be, you see where I'm going, right? Yeah, you want want to, yeah, as you said, a Death Star, a massive engine that can make you launch anything you want to launch and just be- Which is why I ate shit at 34 and yep. even though I made these big investments and a year and a half into Vayner when we were doing 3.3 million, I had people offering me $100 million to start a hedge fund or a VC fund. I could have literally fucking made $2 million a year to just take meetings because now I was full-pledged Gary Vee. Now yep. Barack Obama and Mark Zuckerberg and like real people, like now I'm in a different planet. Yep. And I said, no, 
Yeah. Because I knew that if I ate dog shit for a decade and built this Death Star, that I would be fundamentally unstoppable in the happiness and pursuit of process yep. for the rest of my life. And I am dangerously close to that place right now. And I got to ask, quick follow-up question. Do you think you're going to retire at some point? Never. Yeah, same. Cool. No shot. <laughs> By the way, we share a birthday. So what? happy early birthday. Is that true, Eric? Yeah. I, you know what? I didn't know that. You know what, Eric? I'm going to say something. It would blow my mind if I did. Mm. I won't. Because yeah. with a Death Star, if that is just curing diseases, helping yep. children, like I will always be in deploying the Death Star. I may not be the active operator of a functional right. business. I might just be the operator of the Death Star, like a philanthropy thing. But I do really anticipate in buying the Jets and I'll be running that organization and yep. that will be a lot of fun too. So anyway. To that. All right, so quick fire because I know I need to let yeah, you Yeah, let's go. do it. Logan Paul credits you with getting into Pokemon cards. Any quick story there? You know, three years ago, I realized that two years ago, I started making a lot of content around this. And a year ago, I just started reaching out to acquaintances and friends and business associates, or if they reached out, I think Logan reached out, asking me a question on a thought about something. I was like, yo bro, are you getting on this? And he's like, oh, I don't care about sports. I'm like, Pokemon? And he's like, yeah, actually, that was literally it. So yeah, you, I mean, you know, my favorite amongst back to our shared friend, Jeff Nicholson, who works for me. And again, great friend of yours and advocate. Awesome guy. He was one of the first five people I told because I love basketball cards and he loves basketball. And one of my favorite things in life is that literally if he spent $5,000 on Jason Tatum rookie cards properly, they'd be a hundred K right now. And you yeah. know, Jeff, the way I do, he loves the cash. He's yeah. a little different than me. He's more cash. He likes process too, but like, yeah. like, like no, I, great love, operator I, too. I love that he uh, didn't do it. Like I love razzing him. Like you fucked up, you know, I don't really razz him because super busy with tracers I'm letting him out yeah. do his thing but like I want to razz him about yeah. fucking up with I'll make sure to show him the clip yeah, please show that <laughs> clip but like the reality is is that it just serendipity just telling people yeah. like hey you need to look at this yeah favorite wine other than your own I'm very hot currently it always ebbs yeah. and flows first, this is yeah. the answer of fall 2020 I'm really into Barolo okay uh, Italian Barolo in general I'm very high on I gotta send you Freedom Estate a cab out of Napa that's our favorite I gotta Get Please. you a bottle of that. They're a boutique shop. The next one, your thoughts on gaming and esports. I know you're really hot on that. Like, where's that industry going? I, we all know that it's going somewhere, but I'm still waiting for the true monetization of it. Other um, than the game there's, companies. There's real monetization around it. Obviously, with Vayner Sports, I'm wearing the hat if you're playing yeah. video. We represent Kyle Booga, what I think is literally the, you know, Federer, Nadal, you know, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas of esports. So my brother and our company represents talent. And then I'm the solid minority owner of the Minnesota version one esports holding co-team. We have a version one team in the Rocket League and we have the Minnesota Rocker team in the Call of Duty League. I'm very deep in this big financial investment from my end. I mean, it is clearly one of the three or four biggest sports in the world for the rest of my life. And so the monetization can happen in training. It can happen in brand arbitrage. It can happen yeah. in content. It can happen in representation. It's going to happen in every single same place that basketball monetizes. And I grew up a competitive gamer when it wasn't the cool thing to do. So I'm loving seeing this. <laughs> sure, that's awesome. Keep going. Last question for you. Where does your knowledge come from? You've said before, you're not a big like business book reader. So like, where do you gain all this? the osmosis of reading comments at a scale that I'm starting to realize might not exist. I just yeah. don't think I, I think I took for granted that I am basically reading people 24 hours a day. And that if I'm taking a flight to San Francisco and I'm just don't want to do actual work that I'm not watching a movie. Like I am going to go on Twitter. I'm going to go in Instagram explore. I'm going to read current events and then be like going back to an old one. Who's this Cardi B that everyone's talking about? 
on the deep, deep hip hop threads before she becomes Cardi B. Yeah. Oh, I found her Instagram account. Oh, I found her one video on YouTube. Oh, I'm gonna now actually read every comment before I listen to one bar of her music. Got it. Why do eight-year-old girls like slime? Why did I just hear yeah. that from my daughter? Oh, I'm gonna spend four hours now reading the four top slime podcasters, YouTubers, and Instagram accounts, and I'm gonna read 9,000 comments to get an observation. You know, what do so people- So funny you bring that up. We launched Karina Garcia's slime company with Target. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, you know, to me, it's all that stuff. It's, you know, what is going on? Like, what are people's perspective on LeBron now that he's won his fourth title? What is the current temperature of LeBron versus Jordan? I'll spend an hour on that. You know, Korean K-pop or pop-up stores, or now that it feels like COVID, I'll do something else. I'll have a hypothesis. Oh, I will never fly again where every person in the plane is just in their normal face. For the rest of my life, yep. at least some percentage yep. of people in that plane will wear a mask. Yep. Hey, that means that masks are actually now a staple item like jeans and socks. Yep. Hey, let me go down a rabbit hole right now on search of which companies are, I know they're all doing it because I even yep. know it now because I see the ads, I see all that. But who's really committed Hey, yep. should I start a mask company in perpetuity? You know, yep. like this is what I do. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> You're a permanent student. You're entire, that's the to what ties us all together. Which is so really funny, right? Because a lot of people, when they see me in the wild, interrupting people on my own podcast, yeah. always talking, you know, I find it fascinating how much of an enigma I am. I understand the judgment around always talking. God. I spend 98% of my life listening. Well, it's a, it's a window into social media. Like people think that the 2% of your time they see on social is you. And the truth is that's only what's there. It's, it's, I see it the same thing. Okay, so I do actually have one more question then you're done, which is you're full of advice, but what is one piece of advice for someone that's starting out, you know, kind of you've got your origin story, everyone's got their yep. own path, but what's your piece of advice to like, just get to that happiness, get to achieve what you want to achieve? The biggest thing that ever impacted me in my life in a lot of ways was that I was an old soul as a child. I don't know why this is, but in my four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old self, I would gravitate towards the grandparents at the playground in a way that I've started to really try to figure out. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was because I only had one grandparent because they all died, unfortunately, because mm -hmm. of the way Russia was. But in hindsight, I think I'm just an old soul. And so what did I learn? in those very formidable first 10 years of my life. I learned that old people, and that's how I'll say it, because that's how I thought back then, because yeah. I don't think 80's old now, because <laughs> I can see it, and I'm like, I'm gonna be fucking doing it. That old people have a lot of regrets, and that the old people of the 80's that I met, and even today, the people in their 80's, 90's, they didn't grow up with the internet, and which meant they didn't have options mm -hmm. anywhere close to the ones we all have. So my piece of advice for somebody that's starting out is spend as much time as possible trying to figure out the cross section of what you love and what you're good at because it's worth wasting your 20s and 30s because it's not waste to find it because what you don't know is what I know, which is I'm 44 years old right now. Eric, how old are you? 33 to the day younger than you, 11 years. <laughs> Correct. And I feel like we're the same. I feel like we're contemporaries, friends, yep. there just is no gap no. in that 11 years. And I think what I want the 20, 40 year old to know right now is the way you feel right now, and if you can do what I'm asking you to do is exactly the way you'll feel at 44. And you don't have to be married at 30 and you don't have to make a million dollars and you don't have to. What you have to do is recognize that it is proven 
without a shadow of a doubt that most people aren't forcing themselves to find happiness. And the ones that do are laughing at the rest of us. Yep. And, and I want you to get there. And so be patient. You know how much I love it, Eric. There's yep. no way we're gonna get through this whole thing without me mentioning it. <laughs> I just think that like, you know, sometimes when I see a successful kid like you at your age and they're burnt out or kind of anxious or, and I'm like, you know, I almost am dreaming this up for you and I, if I could look at you and say, bro, literally I'd, I was starting over at 34, zero. Yeah. Look where you're at at 34. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's invigorating because I think people yeah. don't realize how much you can do in a decade. Yep. And so patience. And- yeah, and I, the same thing. My principle I've always told people is just continue to learn. I mean, if, as you said, where you can find where you love something and you're good at it, but that takes a lot of trial and error. This is my fifth business at 33. You went through a few things too. Like, it's like, it doesn't happen like that. As you said, patience is huge. And force happiness, you know, like mean, yeah. like everything I just said, I might wake up next week and be like, fuck the Death Star. I'm starting a donut brand and yep. I'll do it. I'm crazy yep. enough to do that. And I think that's important. Yep, agreed. Well, Thank you again so much. I know your time is valuable. So appreciate you joining us. Take care. Bye-bye, everyone. Hawk Media is your outsourced CMO and marketing team. We'll dive into your business for free. Identify opportunities in your marketing strategy. Then get you teamed up with individual experts all month-to-month and a la carte. Whether you're looking for a Facebook advertiser, a web designer, or a fractional CMO, we can help you drive growth for your business. We've successfully grown over 2,500 brands, and we're here to help you too. No matter your goal, we've got you covered. To learn more, visit hawkmedia.com. That's hawk with an E, media.com. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.